We are over in Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. I'm not sure if we talked about this last time. We talked about John the Baptist, his name, that he got, the Bapt- he got John from, from God the Father and the Baptist from the people. Combined it and... Now we'll probably get into this a little bit more. I think next week we're going to be talking about the baptism ministry. Where did baptism come from? Anybody ever wonder that? Where did the whole idea of baptism come from? Why did all of a sudden we start putting people into the water? So we'll we'll take a look at that. What was that? <laughs> that is not why they did it. Absolutely not. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, John the Baptist came preaching. Of course, he went in uh, pretty much isolation until it was about six months before Jesus was going to come out in ministry. And then he kind of came on the scene. But you'll notice this, that Jesus went into the synagogues. Paul goes into the synagogues. Peter goes into the synagogues. And when Paul got kicked out of the synagogues, he went into the open places to, to meet, uh, homes, wherever it was he could go. Jesus would go into the synagogues. Sometimes he'd be in the open places. Sometimes he'd be on boats. Sometimes he would be in houses, uh, all kinds of places like that. But John was in the wilderness. Now, why is it called a wilderness? It's kind of wild out there. There's not a whole lot around. There's no McDonald's. There's no CVS. There's no Wawa. Yeah, there's, uh, there's the wilderness. There's, there's nothing really there. And so John would come out there. Now, if you were going to have a ministry, how many of you would think, well, the good, best idea would kind of go into the cities, go into the synagogues, go in some of the open squares? John doesn't do that. John stays in the wilderness. So he's out there in the wilderness preaching. And if you look at the next verse, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound interesting? I mean, if you're going to size up somebody's ministry, what they're going to do, here's what you say. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> now, if we think of some other people. We think of Kenneth Hagin. He's out there. What do we think of with him? You know, teach my people faith. Well, that sounds interesting. Uh, there's a lot we can learn about faith. And later on, he developed that into some other things too. But teach my people faith was one of those things we go, go on. And we have other people that are, that are out there. We might describe their ministry in, in certain ways, but certainly we would want to describe them in a way that was interesting. Here we got repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It just doesn't sound flashy. It's not a good catchphrase. You couldn't put that on the TV, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and people would come. But he's not even being where it's convenient. He is out in the wilderness. So he's in a place that's inconvenient with a message that doesn't sound all that exciting. How many people like to go to a meeting that says repent? Come with me to a meeting tonight. We're going to find out what we're doing that's wrong. So we can repent and get right with God. That might not appeal to a whole lot of people. Of course, nowadays, well, who's to say what's really wrong? 
Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this part here is at hand is actually uh, better translated very, very near. The kingdom of heaven is very, very near. Now, these folks have been under the kingdom of Rome, getting kind of tired of the kingdom of Rome. They want the kingdom of God to come. So, just hearing that the kingdom of, of heaven is near, that's probably the part that got them interested. What? The, the kingdom is near? The Messiah is coming? Oh, let's go out here. What's, what's going on? If he knows that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, maybe he knows some other things that are going on that will bring this about. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Isaiah prophesied this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, he is not the one. He was even asked that. We're going to get over that scripture in a little bit. He is not the one. He is the voice of one. He is basically, put it this way, he is the voice of the one. He is the voice of the one, but he's crying in the wilderness. Why not go to the cities where the people are? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. I mean, come on, bring some variety in here. Locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. So the people of Israel are so hungry that they go out to him in the wilderness. They don't make him come to them. They go out to John to hear, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And these, one of his calls is to make the path straight, to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So he's out there preparing them for the coming of the Lord. He's saying things for them to be ready for Messiah to come. So John's ministry... According to this, let's go to that verse of Scripture again. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. So we are to prepare the way of the Lord. We are to get the people's hearts ready for the Lord. If this is His ministry, if this is what John is to do, then everything about what John teaches is about how to recognize Messiah, what to do when He comes. We're preparing the way for Messiah. So it isn't like Jesus just came on the scene. John has been preparing the people to recognize Messiah, who the Messiah would be, what they needed to do to get ready for Messiah. He's been doing this for at least six months, getting them ready. And the people are hungry enough to see Messiah. They are coming from the city out to the wilderness to hear this message from a guy dressed in camel's hair, leather belt, eats locusts and wild honey. How do they know that? How, I mean, it's easy to tell what he wears. How do the people know that he eats locust and wild honey? Well, if you're going out to the wilderness, what are you bringing with you? You're bringing food. And if you really appreciate John and his ministry, what would you do if you brought food out there? You'd probably offer, John, would you like some? I got an extra hamburger. Would you, would you like one? Got an extra ham sandwich. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have a ham sandwich with it. <laughs> Got an extra, extra whatever it might be. And, you know, would you like to have some? 
No, I just eat locusts and wild honey. Really? That's all you eat? Yeah. Man, this guy's different. He dresses different. He eats different. But I like his message. So they keep coming out. They keep coming out from the cities into the wilderness. So then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So many of the folks got baptized. They came out to him. He's probably parked by some river somewhere, some place where they can put people in water. Uh, let's go over to John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Now again, he's the voice of one, according to Isaiah. <clears throat> the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That was supposed to be where he was preaching from. That's what he did. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the one. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. So he knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is. And he declares that to the people. So in John's ministry, if you came up and you asked John, who are you? John would say, I'm the guy who comes before Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about who said, prepare the people for, for, the, for Messiah. Prepare the people for his coming. So that's what his ministry is about. If you came up and asked John, what are you about? I'm about getting, ready, getting people ready for Messiah. Because the kingdom of heaven is very, very near. So he has spent all these months, even though we're not given the details of, of what he's been doing, preparing people, telling people the Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. The kingdom of heaven is very near. He's preparing people what they need to do, showing them how to recognize Messiah when he comes. All of these, these things for six months. And we're not going to get into it tonight, but eventually Jesus is going to show up. And he's going to come out to one of John's meetings. And he's going to tell John to baptize him. And what's John say when he sees him? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you've been coming out to John's meetings, and John has been preparing you for Messiah for all these months, and now Jesus is getting ready to launch his ministry, so we're saying it's about six months after, after that, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes in on the scene, into the meeting, and this is what John says. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Is there any doubt who that is? No. This is stated by the guy whose purpose in life is to prepare people for Messiah. Who's been preparing people for Messiah. So for six months, they've been hearing about it. And then Jesus walks in on the meeting. And John says, that's him. How much doubt could there be who 
Jesus was. But apparently there still was, wasn't there? Back over to Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, hear fruits worthy, therefore, <clears throat> bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So people are coming from the city. And apparently the Pharisees hear about it. Because people are coming into the meeting and saying, man, we were down over there. We heard this guy, John, baptizes people. And we heard his message. He's preparing people for Messiah. He's preparing people for Messiah to come. And so the Pharisees come out. Now we've got the religious people who made the trek from the city out of the comfort of the synagogue. Unusual for them to make the trek out into the wilderness to come into being John's ministry and be baptized. And John is so excited to see them come. Oh, now my ministry is going to take off. Now I'm going to get popular. Now we're going to have some big crowds. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, I didn't warn you. <laughs> you almost can take from that that John says, I was kind of hoping you'd fall into it. Hmm. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. He's telling this to the religious leaders. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Isn't that one of the things they said to Jesus? For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He's speaking about judgment here. That the one who comes after him will bring judgment upon the earth. But his purpose is to get people ready for it to repent so that they don't come into a place of judgment. And they come into a place of his baptism, which is greater than the one John has. This is the baptism of Holy Spirit and fire. Well, which side of that baptism do you want to be on? I'd rather be on the side of the Holy Spirit. Fire, <laughs> that's, not, that's going to be burning stuff up. We'd, and sometimes we think, oh, fire is good. I don't know if it's necessarily good in this one. I think you're going to either be baptized Holy Spirit and filled with good stuff or fire. <laughs> but let's, um, let's go on. We're going to go jump on down to Matthew chapter 11. These are some of Jesus' words about John. Verse 7, And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. We'll get into the scripture that he, he just covered. This is John's disciples departing. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? In other words, these folks went out to the wilderness to see. Now, Jesus is on the scene. John is kind of fading off the scene at this point. His ministry is kind of on the downside. And uh, technically, at this point, he's actually in prison. Going to be pretty soon, to, he's going to be killed. But Jesus says to John, Who did you go out in the wilderness to see? When you made the trek to go out in the wilderness, what did you go out to see? I mean, if you, we go anywhere, we, we have an expectation of who we're going to see. What did you expect 
to see when you went out in the wilderness and saw John. So he says, a reed shaken by the wind. Now how many know what he's talking about there? Did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? How many of you just read over that and said, well, I'm not sure what that means. I'm just going to go keep on reading and get the rest of this out here. Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Why would you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? I mean, obviously we're not talking about reeds. It's got to be something, something else, something more involved. If you're going out to see a person who's a teacher of spiritual things, why are we talking about reeds? And why are reeds shaken by the wind? What is the, uh, what is the idea here? If you look at the term reed and follow this out, and you actually just look up the exact same Greek word, and if you have your quick verse handy, you can just click on that and do a real fast search. You'll find a lot of different mentions of this word reed. Very few are flattering. There are some that are. But very few are flattering. One is talking about Jesus as being a reed that was bruised. That's about the most flattering one that you can find. Most of the other ones are not. Most of the other ones talk about reeds being ripped up, judged. Reeds aren't, aren't uh, spoken of very good in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The reed, the word reed is used about the crown of thorns that was put on Jesus' head. The reed was used to what they used to beat Jesus with. The reed is what they... Uh, said that they put the sponge on to put the mixture of things up into to Jesus. Most of the time we see a reed being used in the Bible, it's not used to very good things. So he said, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, what did they usually go out and see? When they went out to hear a religious leader, before Jesus came along, they went out and they heard Pharisees, Sadducees, and such things like that. That these religious leaders, these are the ones that they were generally seen. And then John came along and John was different. They went out to see John and they were expecting the same thing as before, but John was different. John wasn't like these other, other folks over here. Now, we've already seen some of the stuff that he did. The Pharisees and those guys, they come on out. And what does he say? Who warned you? Now, go back. Bear fruits of repentance. He rebuked them. That's not a real good thing to, to do. Now, the Pharisees, and along the course of time as we get through with, with the teachings on John, some of the interactions that Jesus had with them about regarding John, you're going to see this about them, is that they do what is popular. They are moved by the things of the, the people. Now, we're not going to get into this tonight, but just a reference to you all, all know this. Remember, they came to, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, where does your authority come from? And, and Jesus said, I'll answer that question if you answer me a question. Where did John's authority come from? Did it come from God or did it come from man? And so they conferred among themselves. Well, if we say from God, he'll say, this is, this is cool. This, he'll say what? Remember, think about what he said. Why did you not believe him? That means John was teaching them that Jesus was the Messiah. Why did you not believe him? If they believed John, they would know where Jesus' authority came from. They would have asked the question. So this is not just something they're saying to Jesus. This is something they're saying among themselves. 
We can't say that because we've heard John teach about it and we know that this is the guy that he was pointing to. Pharisees know that. They know that John was pointing to Jesus. And Jesus, in asking this question, they got caught on that. If we say it's of men, we fear the people. So they answered, we do not know. We do not know. So Jesus said, neither will I tell you. No, not going to tell you. You didn't answer my question, and I can answer your question. Neither will I tell you where my authority came from. So when you, that just kind of exposes their, for you what they were used to as far as a teacher was concerned. They were not out to teach what was true. They were out to teach what was popular. What, the, what they wanted people to, to believe. What they thought people wanted to hear. So a reed shaken by the wind is, did you go out to see a teacher who taught the popular things? Did you go out to see one who, would, who was a prophet, who would only say things that people wanted to hear? A reed shaken by the wind. Now when Jesus used the term wind before, he's always speaking about that as influences upon the natural elements. When the storm came up, what did he say to the, to the waves? Remember, he spoke first to the wind. He spoke first to the wind because it was the wind that stirred up that, that uh, influence there. Did you come out to see a reed shaken by the wind? The first thing that they were used to is they had teachers who would teach things that were popular. This is one of the things they were shocked about Jesus. He taught them as one having authority. What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? What's that about? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Soft clothing is, you know, real nice stuff. Expensive stuff. Stuff that, you know, you don't want to get dirty. Where's John? He lives out in the wilderness. He does not have clothes that you don't want to get dirty. He's got camel's hair. Eating locust. Wild honey. So you see, the first two things he says here are things they may have gone out to see, maybe they expected because this is what they're used to. They're used to seeing teachers in soft clothing. This is what the Pharisees went around in. These elegant clothes, they, they can't get their hands dirty. They can't work because they would get dirty. So other people have to go around and do these things. They wore soft clothing. They were reeds shaken by the wind. Is that what you went out to see? The same thing that you've always seen before? Someone who would teach what is popular? Someone who was dressed in a manner, a certain manner of Verse 9. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Ah, now we're getting to the one that I did. They didn't go out to see, well, they may have gone out to see it, but they didn't see one who was a reed shaken by the wind. They didn't see one who was clothed in soft clothing. What they did see was a prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Surely, I say to you, among 
those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can interpret this, a lot of ways you can hear this. Greater than John the Baptist, did he do a lot of miracles? We don't really hear, we, if he did, we don't hear of any miracles that he did. And that's what we usually t- term with, with greater. Power, miracles, fiery sermons. Thing, none of his sermons really made it outside of repent. That's about it. So what is it that makes John greater? Well, if you look back in the Old Testament, the prophets are prophesying about Messiah, about coming Messiah. If you were one of those prophets, when would you rather be alive and ministering? During the days of, that they were here where they were prophesying about the Messiah to come or during the days of John when he was introducing Messiah? When would you rather do it? So Isaiah said, oh man, I wish I could be John. I could be right there introducing him instead of talking about him from years before. Before That could be one of the ways that, they're, that we're looking at this, that greater than John, because John is here when Messiah is here. It's not something that we're looking far off into the future. It is here now. But then look at what he goes on to say. Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So if we look at it, the, all the other prophets would have loved to have been in John's shoes and been here when John was here and introduced the Messiah and be able to say, Behold the Lamb of God, instead of just talking about who, who he was to come. Then Jesus goes on and talks about those in the kingdom of heaven. The folks... We are in the kingdom of heaven. We're not here introducing Messiah. We're here after the effects of Messiah. After the effects of what he has come. After the baptism that he brought in. That John said was more powerful than his baptism of water. And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. How many have ever heard people preaching fiery messages about how we need to become violent and take the, take the kingdom? Yeah, except that's not what Jesus is teaching at all. His context has been, John is different from these others. These others come in and they're, they uh, pretend to, to be a certain way. They, they wear these type of clothing. They are reed shaken by the wind. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Does that sound good? No. But those that are religious, those are the ones who come in and they violently begin to take things because if they cannot get... You see, the the religious people, they can't win on an argument. The Pharisees with Jesus. Where did, my, where did John's authority come from? We can't argue our way out of this because we can't argue the truth. We don't have the truth. We don't believe the truth or the truth reveals who we are. So therefore, how they come against Jesus? With violence. We need to kill them. How'd they come against the kingdom of God with the prophets? They killed them. How'd they come against the apostles? They killed them. How'd they come against those who came after the apostles? They killed them. They beat them. Jesus' parables. 
about the vineyard. They killed them. They beat them. There's violence that's there. He's not encouraging us to become violent. What he's saying is the kingdom of heaven will suffer violence. And the violence try and take or seize the kingdom of heaven by force. Because they can't stand the truth. John was different for them. They had a hard time with John because he taught as one with authority. As Jesus came along and did. He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. Even today, we look at a lot of ministers that are out there and we preach what is popular. We preach what the people want to hear. We don't necessarily preach what's in the Word of God. Even if the Word of God condemns something to sin while the society has accepted it, then uh, reeds shaken by the wind. The wind is blown and the reeds move. Most of the time, folks, Christians are related to as trees, not reeds. We need to be standing up to things. It's hard to uproot a tree. Reed's pretty easy to uproot, not a tree. Now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now he is not the Elijah. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. He comes in the power of Elijah. But the Elijah will come before the second advent. Not before this one. Now the verses that are quoting so often here comes from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's the verse. But they just quote the first part of it. Apparently that's the part that affects Jesus' ministry right now. Now Luke chapter 7 verse 28, head on over there if you would. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is, this is uh, basically the same passage, but Luke just adds a little bit extra here. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So some yielded to baptism and some did not. Those who were tax collectors and sinners, they repented. But the religious leaders did not. Now you can see why John had an attitude toward the religious people, didn't he? Because he saw that religious spirit that was in them and he came against it. This is wrong. This is bad. Now Jesus said the same thing. When he saw that religious spirit, he came against it. Because that religious spirit becomes violent to the kingdom of God. That's why he came after them. To expose them. To show who they, who they were. Back over to Matthew chapter 11. I left off at verse 14. Verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now whenever Jesus says this, he's trying to teach a principle. Generally in a parable. He's trying to teach a principle that's going to be hidden from the masses. But those who desire to learn the truth can hear it. For him who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. That makes sense, anybody? <laughs> so he says this to him. He says, First off, if you have ears to hear, let you hear. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to just put it out there for everybody to hear. You have ears to hear, you'll hear this. 
But to what shall I liken this generation? We're not talking about the kingdom. We're talking about the generation. The generation that Jesus is in. What shall I liken it to? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. So what in the world is he saying about this? This is the parable. We have to understand this is a, uh, a parable of things that he, he, he's trying to communicate a principle through the use of, of things that we've seen. So you've been in the marketplace, you've seen the kids that are around there in the marketplace, the kids are out there, they're playing. That Generally, the, you put kids into an atmosphere of a marketplace, well, they get very lively and they, they like to show off. They like to do things for, for people. They like to be seen. They like people to, to watch. You know, if you have a little one around and they have something to do, uh, they'll, they'll holler over, you know, call you, call you out. Watch. Watch me. Look what I'm going to do because they're going to do something great. <laughs> and then why don't you make sure you're watching. And after they do it, they'll get you to watch again. Watch. I'm doing it again. And because they, they like the attention. So this is what he's liking it to. It's children. But look what they do. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. Huh. So the kids are playing the flute. What do they expect? They expect that the people that are the companions, the people that are around them, they're going to dance. But they didn't dance. They said, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you or we cried and you did not cry with us. You did not lament. In other words, we set the tone and you didn't follow. We're used to setting the tone here. We're in the marketplace. People are watching. If we play the flute, they should dance. If we mourn, they should mourn. So no matter what direction they go, it could be extreme. We could be happy. We want you all to be happy. If we say be sad, we want you all to be sad. Let's go back and look at the whole thing again here. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? The whole generation is being likened to the children. It is like children of Satan in the marketplace calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking... And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So they see John. John is completely the opposite of Jesus. John is out in the wilderness. Jesus is in the cities. John doesn't drink. Jesus does. John wears harsh clothing. Jesus wears nice stuff. And so they come out to John. Now, when they came out to John, they were actually enthusiastic about coming out to John. They were, they were glad to come out to John. John sounded like he was right in their, right in their, uh, uh, right in the court, right in their ball, playing their, their game. Well, he doesn't eat certain things. He restricts his diet. He uh, wears sackcloth. Sounds like he's in mourning a lot. This it sounds like he's sounds like he's a religious person. Sounds like he follows a lot of rules and laws and regulations, and we like that. 
So they came on out excited. And as soon as they get on out there, he rebukes them. They didn't get their way. We came out here mourning and you didn't mourn with us. We came out here rejoicing and you didn't rejoice with us. We're used to getting our way. We're used to when we come in and we declare it's going to be a rejoicing time that everybody rejoices. When we come in and declare it's going to be a mourning time, everybody mourns. But apparently that's not how it is right now. What should I like in this generation? This generation is like those who I put in your outline there, that they're spoiled. These children are what we would call spoiled. They get their way. That's what he's saying about them. Get their way. When the Pharisees come out and they say we all need to mourn, they expect everybody to mourn. If they came out and said to John, we all need to mourn, John says, I'm not going to do it. They came out and said, we all need to rejoice. John says, I'm not going to do it. He's not going along with them. And they can't make him come along and they're not used to this. The people, if they got up and they said, we're all going this way, the people all went that way. But John was different. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. John was one of those guys that if you came up to him and you said, what do you think about this topic? I think that's wrong. (laughs) What do you think about this? I think that's right. He'd come out and he answer. He'd give you a yes and a no. He, he taught us he would be one also having authority. And Jesus was one who taught having authority. And they sat and they listened to Jesus because what they're used to is a, a lecture. I mean, I've heard, I, was, I sat through Bible college. I sat through some of the lectures and some of the professors and stuff like that. And they would come on out and they would bring out this passage and they would, they would sit there and they would say, well, Professor so-and-so says this about this particular passage. But then you can also go over here and, uh, and this uh, commentator has this to say about this particular passage. And then if you go over here, this author has written a book about this view of this particular passage. And they got all these different views. Well, which one's right? Well, you know, there's, there's some truth to this one and I think there's some truth to this one here. And, and that's what they're used to. They're used to people who came along and they, they taught like there's no, nothing real firm, nothing real authoritative. And then Jesus came out and John came out and basically, no, that's wrong. Don't do it. No, that's not what the Word taught. The Word teaches this. And they would teach him from the Word. John's preparing them the way for the Messiah. So he's teaching them the Word. This is what the prophet said. This is what you need to be looking for. Not what the Pharisees told you. This is what you need to be looking for. This is in the Word. And he set them straight on all these things. The Pharisees didn't like this. We're used to having our way. We're used to being able to come on in and if we say the Messiah is going to be this way, everybody goes along with Messiah is going to be this. If we say that's not Messiah, everybody believes that's not Messiah. They're used to having their way. And they're used to all the people who just kind of do whatever they say to do. And now all of a sudden something is messing this thing up. John came in and messed it up. Jesus is in here messing it up. After Jesus goes, the disciples are going to be messing it up. After they get rid of all them, they're going to have all those other converts. They have the Pauls and the Timothys and the Silases and all those folks that are coming up and just all these people who are disrupting things. This is not the way it's supposed to be. See, they use religion to control people. John wouldn't be controlled. 
They couldn't corral him. They couldn't threaten him. They couldn't do anything to bring him under their control. They looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, he drinks, he's a, he's a whiner, likes wine, likes, probably likes to drink a little bit too much. I think there's a little bit of extra excess going on there. They didn't like him, but it, Jesus just showed them. Here's John. John did all these things and you said he had a demon. Why? Did he have a demon? Absolutely not. There was too much supernatural stuff going on about it, but they didn't like what he said. So the only thing you can do is challenge his character in the front of the people. And that's exactly what people do today. If they don't like the message that a certain people has, then they challenge their character. They make up stuff about them. They throw stuff out there about them. Get people to, to believe it. Jesus is saying this. You said he had a demon. Can you imagine the Pharisees going around and saying to John he had a demon? Who else would be out there in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey? That's just not normal. He's got a demon. And some of the people believed it. Then Jesus comes along. He's not out in the wilderness. He's not wearing funny clothes, eating locusts. He's eating regular food, drinking wine. But he hangs out with the sinners, tax collectors, and they use that against them because they're not after the truth. They want people to come along to do whatever they say to do and people who declare the truth mess that up. And John was one of those people. Did you come out to see a reed shaken by the wind? We're not called to be reeds shaken by the wind. We're called to be trees that stand firm. So how would you describe your life? Are you a reed or are you more like a tree? Are you one that the wind blows and it can just move you right on, right on over? Are you more like a tree. Putting your outline this for you. Don't be one who is shaken by people. Stand for the Word of God. Now, religion makes big things out of small things, but always overlooks those things that are important. That's what religion does. Makes big things out of small things, but overlooks those things that are important. We fall into religion. We get weak. We get to become reeds. We get to fall into these things that Jesus says they aren't, they aren't good. When the people play the, the tune, we'll dance. When they tell us to cry, we cry. Because we don't know how to stand on the truth. But as we learn the truth, I believe all you have. We've learned the truth. We stand on the truth. It changes the way that we view things. It changes the way that we go. Not everybody stands for it. There's a lot of people out there that the Pharisees get up and they blow the flutes and they start dancing. And you're going to see this in the life of Jesus. Because how many of these people came out to the meetings, enjoyed the meetings, got healed, enjoyed the teaching, then the Pharisees played the flute began to mourn 
corralled the people and they went the direction that they went. Crucify him. Crucify him. John's ministry was to prepare people for the Messiah. John calls out and says, there is Messiah. John would not be swayed by the influences of those that are around him. The people saw this. People had all that testimony. They were hungry enough and they were going out into the wilderness, leaving the comforts of the city, going out into the wilderness to hear him because he wasn't coming to them. But even though they were hungry, even though they would make that trip, not all of them stayed with it. Some of them went back, became reeds. Some of them went back and when the Pied Piper played, they fell in line. Which way will we go? Father, you have called us to be trees, ones that stand up, ones that flourish by the water. Religion can only make us into reeds. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We can stand on that truth and stand for it. And when people try to sway us and people try to get us to buy into another opinion other than what's in your word, get us to accept sin, we will stand for your word. We will not give in. Thank you for the example of John who in the face of popularity turned his back on being popular to declare the truth and the word. We can do the same. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.